0: Of freight trains. Jimmy Ballademus breaks all the rules. He sells into uptrends and buys into downtrends. He adds to losers and cuts his winners short. He is a predominant short in a market that is up the majority of days. By any of the standard guidelines for trading success, Ballademus shouldn't survive in the markets, let alone thrive. Yet he is one of the most successful traders at First New York Securities, the prop trading firm at which he began his career. 15 years ago, and he has never had a losing year. I first interviewed Baledemus on February 22, 2011, a day which the equity markets were down sharply in a sell-off that ostensibly was triggered by the uprising in Libya, which led to a sharp rally in oil prices and market concerns over a disruption in oil supplies. The Libyan upheaval was part of the domino effect of mid-East unrest that began with the overthrow of the Tunisian dictatorship a month earlier. This down day in the stock market followed a three-month period in which the price advance in equities had been so unrelenting that neither the S&P 500 nor the Nasdaq index was able to go more than five days without setting new highs in the ongoing bull market that had begun two years earlier. The current month had been particularly brutal for shorts as the market reached new highs almost daily, never taking more than three days to do so. Baladimus had been net short throughout this move. Watching the succession of near-daily highs, Baladimus commented to his trading assistant, this is like the tech bubble, only with real stocks. Baladimus's trading assistant was my son, Zachary Schweiger. It was Zachary who made me aware of Baladimus and his incredible trading skill. Zachary was amazed at how Baladimus could be short a rising market and still generate profits, more profits, in fact, than many other traders in the firm on the right side of the market. Describing his boss, Zachary said, Jimmy has zero fear. If he ever has a small position, it is either because he was right on the trade right away or because the market has not yet moved against him. He has the same even emotional response whether he is up or down for the day. I caught Ballademus on a very good day for him, a day he had just made back more than his entire loss for the month to date. But had I not known he was short, I would never have guessed it from his laid-back demeanor. There was no sign of the excitement or euphoria many traders would have expressed after such a rapid favorable reversal in the markets. I am sure if I had come one trading day earlier, when his equity was setting a new low for the month, Baladimus would have been equally even-keeled. I had arrived about twenty-five minutes before the close, expecting to silently observe Baladimus from the sidelines. In my email to him the previous day, I indicated I might arrive a bit before the close but that, of course, I would not expect to begin the interview until after the close. I was aware that Ballademus was an active trader, and I did not want to get in the way. Immediately after I arrived, Ballademus began talking. The interview had begun before I realized it had. Ballademus made no further trades while I was there. I had assumed this absence of activity was because Ballademus had already placed all his intended trades for the day. Zachary, however, later informed that Ballademus had stopped trading simply because I was there. Not surprisingly, given the market's largest daily decline in many months, it had been an active day. We placed about 500 trades before you came, Zachary said. And if you were not there, we probably would have done a lot more. That's just the way Jimmy is. If people are there, he will pay attention to them and not the market. Chalk up another one for rules broken. I interviewed Ballademus at his trading desk with his six trading screens, a sea of red quotes as a backdrop. I found the room uncomfortably warm, but Ballademus was dressed in a heavy sweater. You have been short this market? It has felt to me like the market was ready to come down for some time. Even though I held that view, I have tried to maintain some level of discipline, recognizing the market was quite strong. I was still net short every day, but until this month by only five to ten million. That is the type of number that I can manage to not get hurt by too much, even if the market is up 1% or 2% for the day. But you are more heavily short now. Yes, coming into today I was 15 million long and 41 million short. I got a lot bigger on Friday afternoon. For almost any other trader, that would sound like a strange statement. To put it into context, last Friday was a day after a long string of days in which the market was up almost every day, with no corrections along the way. The close was near the high of the week, the high of the month, and for that matter the highest level in recent years. Something was happening last week that seemed different from the rally before then. The market had been grinding steadily higher, but the fact that it was so easy for the market to go up last week let me know that something was up. Thursday, the market rallied sharply after being weak in the morning. Then Friday, the market got really strong again near the close. The market was moving up like there was no supply. Coming on top of the large gains we had in the past four months, I thought, now the market is getting stronger? Now? He says this emphasizing the repeated now in a tone of incredulity at the sheer preposterousness of this price action a tone that communicates, give me a break without saying the words. The move felt fluffy to me, and I honor all the senses I get. It just seemed like a logical place for me to get more short. I try to formulate my own ideas by listening to what the market is saying. Sentiment is one of my big clues as to what is happening. How do you judge sentiment? There are lots of different ways to gauge it, I watch TV, I read the paper, I listen to what people at the firm are saying. People are afraid to short. I'm not shorting any more stock. I'm tired of losing money. I heard that last week. I don't have the speed I used to have. I'm not a sniper anymore. I used to be like lightning, always moving. I don't move as fast anymore. There are things I do differently now. That's part of my evolution. Maybe I am a bit early, but if I am early, I don't get bigger just because I think I'm right. There are a lot of things that I have changed. Even though the market has been straight up this year, I'm still net ahead. I have made more money than most guys who have been net long for our firm. How can you still be ahead when you have been wrong on the market? I have some kind of knack for it. I don't know exactly what the knack is. Maybe it's being comfortable in situations where everyone is nervous. I always take some money off the table when the market is in my favor. Regardless of whether it is a lot or a little bit, even if the market is down only one-half percent or one percent, and I think the market should be ten percent lower, I'm still taking money off. That saves me a lot of money, because when the market rallies, I have a smaller position. That is a habit I have had since day one, I always take money off the table when it's in my favor, always, always, always. But this past month the market has hardly been down. It's been very limited. I have been short an average of about 15 to 25 million this month. I have probably taken about 20% of that position off every morning that we were down in the first 30 minutes. Whatever is read, it doesn't make a difference what the symbol is or whether the stock is down only 50 cents or a dollar. I am taking some off. It is almost mechanical. It is sort of like my internal program that I do regardless of what the news is. If the market then goes up again, I am reselling the same 20% of my short at prices that are maybe 3% higher than where I covered. So the average share price on my shorts goes up, but it is a lot of work going along with whatever the market is doing doesn't make sense to me, and I have to honor that. I have made money every year in my career, even though my system is flawed. I'm not entirely disciplined, and I give myself too much leeway, it it still worked for me. How did you develop your trading style? My firm has always given me a lot of latitude, which allowed me to stretch my boundaries. While it was uncomfortable, it helped me learn how to make and lose money without being scared of doing either. I learned by trading a lot all the time. I traded more than anyone else at the firm. That is how I got my feel for stocks. I really felt them. I felt, oh, something has changed. I don't know what it is, but something has changed. I really trusted that feeling. What was interesting to me early in my career was that I would get a thought about what would happen, and then be surprised when it did happen. It always appeared on the screen to me. It always showed itself to me. A stock reveals itself to me when something changes. How do you see it? It's a sense I have developed, and I have learned to trust that sense. I I think I have spent as much time in front of screens watching the nature of stocks as anyone else in the business. Because I have watched these same symbols for almost 15 years, they almost take on a life of their own. Can you give me an example of what you mean by sense? I'll give you a great example. Tyco went from being one of the favorites on Wall Street to one of the Wall Street disasters in a very short order of time. I started buying at $34, and in a few days it went straight down to $18. My average price was around $23. I was long 750,000 shares and down about 5 million on the trade. I remember my boss coming over to my desk and asking, Jimmy, what are you doing? I said, Don, I'll take care of it. I know what I'm doing. No one was talking because everyone knew the size of my position. I took over the entire desk position on the stock. Even though the stock was collapsing, I really believed, this is my opportunity. I don't remember the exact price, but I said to myself, if it went below that price, I would have to start liquidating. It literally traded right at that price and stopped going down. At that point, I had a sense that something had changed. I didn't sell a share until the price was $1.50 above my average price, which happened that same day. I sold one-third of my position that day, and the next I sold the rest of the position about $3 or $4 higher. Then it went straight down again. I ended up having the biggest month of my career. The stock always seemed to reveal itself to me, especially when I have a large position and I'm watching it closely. What I have learned to recognize over my career is that I don't have to be early because I almost always see it. Maybe it's my lack of discipline that gets me in early. I want to be in early just in case I don't see it, but yet I've always seen it when it changes. It's a feeling, it's a sense. I think, why did I go early again? Here is my signal. I don't get it every time for every stock, but I get it pretty often. Tycho ultimately went even lower. What gave you the confidence to buy it when you did? It was just a feeling. Was it sentiment-related? It was completely sentiment-related. It was the velocity of the fall that got my interest. The price move from $27 to $18 probably happened in about two hours' time. That was when I bought a lot more, knowing that this was an all-out panic and an opportunity. If it had gone below your price, would you have scaled out of the position or liquidated it all? I never buy or sell anything at the market because I'm wrong and have to get out. I've never done that in my career. I'll begin to work out of the position, and if I see it turn around, I'll get back in again, thinking that I was right all along. So you have never had a position that made you cry uncle? I have had a lot of positions that made me cry uncle, but I don't capitulate. Zack speaking. Jimmy never panics. When we had the flash crash, his first question was, is there something wrong with the data? It took him about a minute to realize the price quotes weren't wrong, and he went long everything right there. Jimmy continues, I don't let myself panic. Even if I don't know what's going on, I'm not going to sell. I might lose 5% more trying to find out what is going on, but I'm not going to make a decision because other people are choosing to make a decision out of emotion. I'm not going to be that guy. There was one exception, though. I had to throw in the towel on my short position in Home Builders. Was it a good decision that you covered your short position? Yes, I was much too early. When did you get bearish on the current market? I remember in September 2010 saying to Zach, while the market is going up here, I should be long stocks. After the market rallied, I started going net short in October, and then at the end of the month, the market started to rally really hard. In November, I realized I had to adjust my position. Instead of covering my shorts, I started buying a lot of more longs and value stocks, which started to catch in November and December, and that helped me a lot. In December, I made back most of the money I lost in October and November. But you were still net short. Yes, I haven't been net long since September. Even though you thought the market was going higher, Because it didn't make sense to me that it was going higher, so I just reduced my short exposure by buying longs. The way I looked at it, the more the market went up, the more right my short was going to be. The more it went up, the more money-smart people would take off the table. Smart guys always sell when the market is going up. That's how they make money. I'm not trying to prove I'm right. I'm not trying to prove the market is stupid. I just like making money. There are so many guys I've seen in my career who do something just because someone else is doing it. That is a way of getting beat up. I believe I have as good a sense as anybody in the market. I trust that sense, and it has served me well. Was that sense there from the beginning? Yes, that sense was there early on. Do you think it is innate? Yes, part of it is innate, there's no question about it. My goal is to one day be able to match up my trades with my sense that it's ready to happen right now and to only invest at those times. For me, mastery would be knowing that I don't have to be early and all I have to do is wait for when I see it because I almost always see it. If you usually see it when the time is right, why do you frequently initiate the trade before you get that feeling? Wouldn't it work out better if you waited until you had that strong conviction that now is the time? rather than anticipating the trend change before that point. One hundred percent, no question about it. Sometimes I am the adult in the seat, and sometimes I am the child. If I am the child, he just wants to be involved. I'm not a computer, and I have many flaws. Sometimes I just want to be involved, and I get in instead of waiting until I see, oh, there it is. It's a lack of discipline that I have been contending with my whole career. Even though my track record would indicate otherwise, I still have some lack of trust in my process. I still want to be in the market early, just in case I don't see it. So even though you usually get a strong sense when the market is ready to move, you almost trade like you don't have that skill. Does that make sense to you? It's worked in that I have improved my discipline. I don't allow myself to get bigger if I am wrong early. Even though I think I am right, I won't necessarily short more because it is higher. When I was younger, I would get bigger just because the market was going up. Now I'll wait till I get that sense that the market is ready to move before I get bigger. When did you first get interested in the stock market? My very first influence was probably seeing the movie Wall Street in high school. My senior year of high school, I worked for a stockbroker who was also the branch manager. In Williams College, I took a one-month course taught by Simon Long on trading and capital markets. Simon was trading for Bear Stearns at the time. He had a trading set up at his home, and I would go there almost every day. Simon was a really smart guy and a bit eccentric. He just loved talking about the markets. He really brought the markets to life for me. Also, I wanted to make money. Was it the money that appealed to you in the movie Wall Street? It was more the action that appealed to me. I'm a high-energy guy. I thought that trading perfectly fit my personality. My desire to make money was more influenced by my parents being immigrants who worked very hard. Those were my key influences. There wasn't much more to it. After college, all my friends went into banking, but I knew I wanted to be a trader. Even though I didn't know exactly what it was, I knew it was what I wanted to do. I interviewed with some larger firms like UBS and Société Générale, and then one of my friends told me about a small firm called First New York Securities. I interviewed there, and Don Ehrenberg hired me. Do you know what got you the job? I don't know what got me the job, but several years after I had started with the firm, I brought my mother in to meet Don. In their sit-down conversation, Don told her, I don't know what you did to your son, but I never had anybody work so hard. I knew I wanted it more than anybody else. There was no way I was not going to make it. I always had that competitive drive, whether it was getting into a top college or competing in college sports. What did you learn about trading at First New York Securities? I was an assistant for a year, same as Zach is. I learned how to follow positions in a daily p and L. I I was fascinated by how the stock market moved and how money was being made. What was the trading style of the trader you worked for? Eric had a style similar to the style I have. Buy companies when they are out of favor and sell companies when everybody loves them. It sounds like you came into this business as a contrarian. I was introduced to that style of trading very early on and it made complete sense with the way I looked at the world. Fidelity and the other behemoths that run massive amounts of public money are only buying what's good at the time. They're never going in there when Apple is dislocated or Exxon is dislocated. They're always selling then. The smart guys are always on the other side. That's the game on Wall Street. I'm not complaining. How much did they start you out with? I don't remember the exact amount, but I remember that I made $350,000 in my first year, $800,000 in my second year, over $1 million in my third, and I never looked back. Did you ever use fundamentals? No, never. There was a three-year period when I had fundamental analysts working for me but I found it very difficult to match up their views with my timing. I trusted my own work much more. It was a distraction. Fundamentals were not something I wanted to commit more time to. I wanted to spend my time mastering my discipline and focusing on what was going on with me emotionally that was causing me to make certain choices. That is where the real curiosity was for me. Trading is a great mirror into myself. It doesn't make any difference how much money I lose or make. I'm not going to be sad or happy. What did you do to be successful from the start? I was totally focused on trading. Nothing else mattered, not my health, not my relationships. What was the first time you took a large loss? I was short home builders during their big rally. I felt something was wrong. I didn't understand what was going on. Eventually, it became obvious that momentum hedge fund buying was driving the market. For the first time, I began doubting if I knew what I was doing. I lost about $7 million in one month. Losing such a large amount of money in such a short period of time opened the door to allow other questions to come into my life. That is when I started focusing on my health. I remember thinking, this is going to take me a year to make back. I made that money back in about two or three months. I don't remember how I did it. What made you so bearish on home builders at the time? I remember at the time people flipping houses and making money immediately. It felt very unreal to me. It was the way people talked about the home-building sector. It was a new paradigm. Every time I have had a major concept, I have eventually been right, but sometimes I am too early. I assume you were also negative on technology in 1999. Yes, it's always driven by the nature of how something is advancing. It never made sense to me how something can move so much in such a short period of time. It didn't make sense that everybody had it wrong before then, and all of a sudden there's a whole new way of looking at it. Intuitively, it didn't feel right, and I honor that intuition. Given your style of anticipating tops, how did you avoid disaster during the Internet bubble when it was commonplace for stocks in that sector to go up tenfold or more? I traded the technology stocks rather than the Internet stocks, but they still had crazy moves. Were you early? Absolutely. But what was different in those days was that even if a stock was in big up move, you could get an opening where the stock was down $4, and then it would go back up. But because the stock would open sharply lower, it would give you the opportunity to make money off the table, and then you would have dry gunpowder. What has changed in the last five to eight years with hedge funds becoming the main players is that there are far fewer pullbacks. Now you can't be too early. The last two years... April 2009 to March 2011, have devastated the shorts as much as any other time I've seen, even including the internet bubble. Has that forced you to change your style at all? Absolutely. It has forced me to rely more on the trust that I will see the transition point so I don't have to be so early. How were you positioned when the stock market topped in March 2000? I was short, but I didn't pressure the short. As it was going down, I was covering. So you were taking money off the table as the market went down? Yes, but I was shorting the early rallies. But you didn't continue to play the downtrend in the tech stocks, which lasted for two and a half years. I didn't milk the down move. I am not a milker. For me, it was a question of what's next. There is never a shortage of themes. The market is always creating many bubbles. There is so much opportunity all the time that you never have to get yourself into trouble. You never have to be early, but I always have an inner conflict. There are certain periods where I get more obstinate because I think I'm right. I am more rigid than I would like to be. I think I am an exceptional trader, but sometimes I let my strong beliefs get in the way. I am working on letting go of my beliefs and be the trader I can be. But the beliefs get you on the right side of the market. The beliefs have always kept me making money and not playing the short-term moves that I don't really trust. The markets are such a greater fool's game. I don't want to be the greater fool. There is clearly ego there. I understand why you may not want to play the momentum trade when it is contrary to your beliefs. But why not wait on the sidelines until you get the sense that the time is right? Zach interjects. Jimmy has this amazing execution. There are days when the market is up 5 or 10 handles and Jimmy may be $10 million short and he will still finish up for the day. And I can see that if he had not done any executions, he would be down $150,000 for the day, but instead he'll end up being $30,000 for the day just by constantly trading in and out. We did 520 orders today, so when Jimmy is short and the market is up, he is not necessarily losing. Jimmy speaking again. That's the point. Regardless of my belief that the market will fall apart, even when the market gives me just a 1% or 2% move, I'm still taking chips off the table. That way of trading explains a lot more of why I've made money in my career. It was not so much about my being right on the direction of the market, as it was that when they were giving me money, I was always taking it on a daily basis. So even though today was only the first day of a down move, you still took money off the table. I took half of my capital off today. If the market bounces, I will short the rebound for sure. If the market bounces, that's easy. You just replace the shorts you covered. But what if the downtrend you were anticipating continues tomorrow? If it's lower, then I will just be buying back more stock. I don't mind if I miss a move down because the market will always have a move that I can re-enter if I really feel like it. I'm never afraid of missing anything. The market is always providing opportunities so it doesn't bother you if you end up getting back in at a worse price than you got out. All I think about is making money, not being right. Zack speaking to Jimmy. Something that you said has always made sense to me. I never need to make money in a stock where I lost it. Jimmy continues. Early in my career, I had more of a tie to stocks. Now I couldn't care less where I'm making money. I don't have any vendettas. Any more, he laughs. But you used to? Yes, for sure. How did you learn to give it up? I just got tired of fighting. Losing all that money being short home builders was the biggest blessing because it led me to looking at my life in a different way. Why am I making my life so much harder on myself? It could be so much easier. There is something wrong when I start feeling that uncomfortable. Whereas before I would dig in my heels, I'm not willing to go there anymore. Now when a trade feels painful, I start reducing my exposure. I am much more sensitive and conscious about how I am feeling. If a position doesn't feel right, I will make the shift. I can't sit with that feeling very long anymore. What is a recent example of when you had that type of feeling that something was wrong? October, 2010. The markets were starting to accelerate up and I was losing a lot of money. Even though the market had been going up for a year and a half, it shifted into a higher gear. I didn't like the way the market felt. You sound like you are a natural short. I am a natural short because there is a hype, a marketing campaign that is always at work to get people to be long stuck, and it's unnatural. It's an energy that can't always be maintained. The trading approach you have described, a strategy of selling stocks when they are up and buying stocks when they are down, hardly sounds like a recipe for success. In fact, it is easy to imagine how the approach could be disastrous. So obviously there is more to what you are doing. Can you put some color on it? How do you do what you do? Can you provide some specific examples of how you pick and time your trades? I divide stocks into those that I am looking to buy and those that I am looking to sell. Then I recognize when those buys or sells show up in a way that suggests there is a possibility for an accelerated move in a short period of time. How do you recognize that point? Something changes. The chart could change. Something could happen within the group. There is something always changing where clues are given to me along the way that shows me its time. For example, Goodyear was one of the stocks on my buy list. The other auto parts stocks had broken out a while ago. But Goodyear was lagging; we had been watching it for a long time. Then, about two weeks ago, there was a day before the earnings report when the volume was huge, and the price was picking up. I said, "I think this is our spot. Goodyear's ready." I had been watching it for six months. I had always had a small position in it because the other auto part stocks had phenomenal moves. I thought the goodyear should catch a bit at some point when I saw something change, I knew the stock was ready. What changed? Volume? The volume was incredible on an up day. I knew that one day I would see a change and that was it. I believe that sense and I went long. Any other examples? He scans his trade pad and then brings up a chart on one of the screens. Here's another example. Dollar General. We bought it right around here. He points to the chart at a spot after a sharp downtrend with the price having fallen to near the low end of a longer term price base. What was the rationale for that trade? Retail stocks were going up. We were looking for some value in retail. The stock had sold off seven points in a month and a half. What is this big upside gap? I refer to a price move on the chart that occurred a little over a week after the trade entry. There was a takeover. Once the takeover was announced, did you get out? Absolutely, it was a 15% move. Baladimus continues to bring up price charts. MU, Micron Technology. We had been long all along, but we got much bigger on this day here when the stock was up a lot and broke out of a band. Although it had been a big move up that day, it was still in the trading range it had been in for a few years. The stock had broken out of the trading band of the past few months, but was still within a broader, long-term trading range. So I wasn't chasing the stock. I felt comfortable with it. I wouldn't feel comfortable with something like this. He brings up the chart for FFIV, a cloud computing company. I would never buy that stock. The chart shows a long, nearly unbroken uptrend, followed by a huge downside gap not far from the high, and then a rebound about two-thirds of the way back to the high this is a stock I would short. Tomorrow, if the market is up, I will probably be a seller. Why specifically are you so negative on this chart? It is a broken stock. It broke on big volume. The indexes have made new highs and the stock can't get above its 50-day moving average. All the investors have been riding the stock all the way up. Although cloud computing is a great story, it is overplayed. Current prices way outstrip any growth potential for the next few years. Analysts are talking about 2015 numbers. It's ridiculous. No one knows what's going to happen four years out. It's difficult enough to forecast the next quarter. The rhetoric buildup is always a similar pattern. Here is another one. Amazon broke down here, and I went short on this day. The Amazon chart is another long-term uptrend with a big downside gap that occurs not far below the high. The day Baladimus points to is on a subsequent partial rebound back toward the high. Why were you bearish on Amazon? Because of the chart, the price had almost doubled in a year. The big volume on this down day showed me the turn was for real. I didn't go short that day because the market was down $20. I waited until the market rebounded above the 50-day moving average. Amazon still went up another $12, but then I doubled up near the high. The rebound high was in the vicinity of the previous high, because I still thought I was right and I did okay. Here is Chipotle, a wild stock. I look at the chart, and it is another large uptrend. If I look at a stock and it's in a large uptrend, I know you will be talking about the short side. The short side, right. I got caught in this whole thing. Baladimus points to the last segment of an accelerated uptrend. You stayed short the whole way? the whole way. We doubled up here. Baladimus points to a spot on the chart closer to the high of the up move. So we brought our average price way up. So you doubled up into a deep losing position? Into a deep losing position, but knowing it's Chipotle. They sell tacos. It's not like it's some new technology company. I'm not going to be that scared of it. The tacos may be really good, but the stock has gone from $140 to $270 in three months. Really? I don't care how good the tacos are. I got out here. He points to a retracement on the chart. So I recovered about three quarters of the loss. You seem to do a lot of selling into uptrends. Yes, but I am always buying it back on the dips. And you hope to get lucky sometimes and get a big down day. That just happened to me in cotton. I was short the cotton ETF, and on those two days I lost $200,000. He points to a chart with another big uptrend, with a near vertical up move on the last two days of the advance. I was short 7,500 shares, and on this day I added another 22,000 shares. He points to the high day of the move. I saw there was huge volume. I said, this is a squeeze. I don't care what's going on in Egypt. The stock has doubled. I should take my shot here. Call it luck, call it what you want, the stock was down 12% the next day. I ended up making net $100,000 on the trade. It was la-la land. The ETF could easily have been up another $10 on the next day. That's where the chutzpah comes in. When no one else wants to do it, sometimes there is great opportunity. There are days like today when the cash register rings, but it seems like your trading style is one that must place you in discomfort on most days. Yes, because the market is up more days than it is down, and I would guess that in my career I have been short about 75% of the time. But I wouldn't say it's discomfort. It's pretty much of the routine. It seems like the only time you are with the trend is when you are betting on a reversal and then the market turns around. I'm good at catching the early part of the trend. I'm trying to learn how to catch the middle part of the trend better. I am never there for the last three innings, the capitulatory phase. The interview has carried on for three hours, and Baladimus's energy seems to be flagging. I suggest perhaps it might be best to finish the interview on a second meeting. Baladimus readily agrees. I return about three months later, May 24, 2011. I begin our second conversation with a line of questions about parts of his strategy that just don't make sense to me. It seems to me that what you are really skilled at is trading around a position. In fact, you are so good at it that you often make money on a position even when the longer-term trend is against you. It's like you are really good going upstairs quickly, but you are often going up the down escalator. Wouldn't your performance improve going up the up escalator? If you traded around a position going with the trend instead of against the trend, wouldn't you do even better? Here is a good example of why I don't have any trust in doing that. Recently, silver had a historic run on the upside. I had been eyeing silver for six months. Technically, it was in a bullish pattern. In commodities, more so than in any other asset class. Most traders take the trend. Nevertheless, I thought the market was a short. I watched the market for six months until I thought, it's time to sell this thing. Did anything happen on that day? It had a reversal, but it was the build-up up up to that point that was important. The silver price had nearly tripled in just over a year. The precious metals markets were spooked by the University of Texas, taking delivery on $1 billion of physical gold. There was news on TV every day about inflation. I am seeing all of this and thinking that they are really pushing the story very hard. It felt like everybody was buying silver. Those are the opportunities I look for. I went short the silver ETF. The prior price move up had already been parabolic, and then the rally became even more vertical. There was real money being put to work in silver. If you saw the amount of volume trading in those last four days of the up move, it was clear that it wasn't retail investors. It was institutions saying they had to be there. The big volume told me that supply was coming into the market. I doubled up during that rally. The market made a new high, and within three days I was down four million dollars on the trade. It was already cuckoo land before that rally, and I knew the market was an even better short, but I had already used up all my ammunition. I wasn't willing to bet my year and have to make back eight million dollars if the market had another move like it just had over the past few days. It wasn't worth it to me to put myself in that position. The market then sold off to about my average price, and I covered the position. On balance, I probably about broke even, and then the market quickly dropped down to $32 from its high near $49. But you had covered the whole position. Yes, because I was tired. I may not have made money on that trade because I got too big a few days too early, but my point is that my way of looking at the world is right. You had every expert tell you how much silver was worth, and yet it went down from $49 to $32 in the biggest market sell-off in over 30 years. I went maximum short within four days of the market top. I trust my radar as to what is really happening in the market. So when you ask me if I should change my style, maybe I should be more flexible. But I don't have the trust to buy a market in a trend the way I trust my instincts on a trade. I wasn't asking you why you didn't buy silver at $30 or $35. I understand that totally. And actually, if you tried doing that, I think it would turn out badly because it is so counter to everything you believe in. But I'm asking you something different. Earlier in the up move, there is a point when you think that this market is eventually going to set up for a good short, but you only watch it because you think the trend still has a way to run. At that earlier juncture, why not participate on the long side until you think the market is getting closer to a point when it is a sale? In other words, I'm talking about going long well before the market becomes parabolic, let alone vertical. I am good at catching the turning points, but I'm not good at staying in a market when the streets get behind it. I'm always early. But the analysts and the people who run most of the money on Wall Street are never going to put their necks out there. They're waiting for the trend to be really intact, and they are trying to catch that middle portion of the trend, which is the juiciest part of the ride. I catch the first part of the trend, which is the hardest part. I'm getting better at extending it, but I am not there for as much of the ride as I should be. Here is what I don't get. It seems that, in all the price moves where the market is in cuckoo land, as you term it, once the market finally breaks, it usually keeps on going. Why participate in only the first few weeks of the new trend when these types of markets will run at least six months to a year or longer once they turn? Why trade only the first price break from the highs? After you get out, why not re-enter from the short side on a bounce? The very fact that you committed to a major short position is itself an indication that when the market does break, it is likely to carry on for some time and some distance. If you went back and checked those trades where you took a maximum position, anticipating a major market reversal, I would bet that in every case the market kept on going after it finally broke. That's 100% true. I understand that, and yet I don't have the patience to sit there every day with the same positions the next level down is something that I don't have the trust to stay with. But that trust should come from your own prior conviction to put on a maximum position before the market turned. The very fact that you were in that trade is itself a great indicator that the trend will likely continue in the other direction once the market has broken. You have this great indicator, not an indicator on a chart, but an internal radar that identifies potential major market turning points. You also have a talent for trading in and out of a position. Why not combine those skills? Take, for example, the commodity peak in 2008. You anticipated that top, went short in the last stage of the rally, and then took your profits on the first break after the highs. Why not at that point say, this market was way overdone, it's going to keep going down for a while, I'm going to get back short on a rally? Then you would be trading both in sync with your original prognostication and with the trend. And if you combine that positional bias with your skill in trading in and out of the market, you would open up a whole source of additional profit potential that you are leaving on the table. It seems to me to be such an obvious thing to do. It seems like the opportunity that you haven't taken is tailor-made for your set of skills. It's like you are currently trading with two hands tied behind your back. You are trading these ideas when the trend is strongly against you, but once the market turns and the trend is in your direction, you go on and do something else. Look, Jack, I know that and I want to have those types of trades because I'm right there. What part of my thought process is shutting out those trades? I don't know. Maybe I'm just comfortable being comfortable and trading with the trend would require me being uncomfortable. The part of the price move where everyone is freaking out and my boss is freaking out is where I am at ease. I am very comfortable when panic is set in because I know then I got them. They're trapped. That's ironic because what you consider comfortable, selling into a near vertical rally, is exactly what most people would find highly uncomfortable. Maybe that is where the fun of it is for me. And yet, where I am making most of my money is in the short-term trading around my positions. That's exactly my point. Why not put the two together? Why not combine that short-term trading with positions that are in line with your original directional call after the market has confirmed the turn you expected? I am not suggesting you give up doing any trades you do. All I am saying is why not add that other component? When you have that really strong feeling and then the market does break, the odds are that the trend will continue for a while. It always does. Those huge opportunities in my career were probably $50 million trades, but I took all the risk and maybe only made $3 million, when just a few weeks later it would have been a $10 million profit, and a few months later $25 million. I hope in my career I will make those trades sometimes. I know I will have the opportunity. Do stock upgrades or downgrades figure into your trading? Generally, the stocks that I am short are being upgraded, and the stocks that I am long are being downgraded. That's how Wall Street works. They're always pushing it when things are great, and they're always selling it when things are bad. They don't impact my trading. Do you still see yourself trading ten years from now? I think trading will always be a part of me, but I don't think it will be a nine-to-four thing. But ironically... The very style that has brought you success, continuously trading in and out of positions, almost by definition seems to necessitate your sitting in front of the screen all day. So far, yes. But even in the last two years, and Zach can attest to this, I will step away from the screen to go to meetings. That is a way of bridging myself to a world that doesn't have me only in front of my screens. What are your goals? I want to continue to learn. I want to be a great businessman. I'm involved in a lot of other businesses, outside investments that I have made. What other businesses are you involved in? Video games, clean tech, movie post-production, and healthcare. How does trading fit into it? Trading is my source of funds. How do you see your trading evolving over time? I really can't imagine myself sitting in front of the screens for the rest of my life wouldn't it be hard to step away from something that you are so good at? I started stepping away part-time and doing other things four years ago. It has been a slow process because trading is something I am good at, and it comes relatively easy to me. But sitting in front of screens is very limiting when there are so many other things that interest me. This was my first job. I want to let go of the shackles. I know there is so much more of life... That I can experience and engage in, but the only way I can do that is by stepping away. I feel this interview should contain the type of warning that accompanies TV footage of dangerous stunts. Don't try this at home. The truth is that Baladimus' style is so highly individualistic, so dependent on innate talent, and so poorly attuned to most traders that, as a generalization, they would be better off doing the exact opposite than trying to emulate his approach. Of all the traders I have ever interviewed for any of the Market Wizard books, none has provided a more difficult role model from which to draw lessons applicable to most traders. There are, however, three lessons that can be drawn from Balladymus’s story that do have more general applicability without potential lethal side effects. The need to adapt. While the commonality of human nature provides elements of consistency in market behavior across time, markets also change, and successful traders adapt to that change. In the case of Baladimus, he noticed that the much greater level of market participation by hedge funds was resulting in smoother price moves for individual stocks and far fewer pullbacks, particularly intraday. This structural change in the market made it more difficult for Balladymus to offset losses from being too early in a position, with profits from trading around the position. It became more important not to be too early on trades. Baladimus responded by keeping positions smaller, until there was a market change that gave him a high degree of confidence that a turning point was imminent. Even though very few listeners will be able to relate to Baladimus' trading strategy, the idea that trading methods need to be adapted to changing market conditions is an important concept that can be applied to each trader's specific approach. Trading around a position A key element in Baladimus' trading success is adjusting position size counter to market fluctuations. For example, if he is short, He will reduce his position on price breaks and rebuild the position on rallies. Baladimus is so skillful at trading around positions that he's often able to generate net profits even when the net price movement of a stock over time is counter to his position. Although Baladimus' timing for this type of trading is an innate skill that cannot be translated and one that few traders will be able to match, many traders may nevertheless find that trading around a position improves performance It makes it easier to hold on to winning trades. As a simple example, assume you are a long stock at 50, looking for a long-term objective of 76 and expecting near-term resistance in the vicinity of 62. Given these assumptions, you might choose to reduce long exposures on advance to the 61 to the 63 zone, looking to reinstate the full position on a pullback. The potential drawback is that a retracement to the re-entry level may fail to occur, in which case profits will be realized on a smaller position. On the positive side, If the liquidated portion of the position is re-entered at a better price, total profits will be enhanced, and perhaps even more importantly, the ability to hold the position will be improved. Whether trading around positions is net beneficial or detrimental will be highly contingent on the individual trader. It will not necessarily be a good fit for all traders, but some traders may find it a highly useful approach. Avoid euphoria. Even though it has worked well for Baladimus for a long time, The last thing I would advise traders to do would be to sell into panic rallies. Very few traders will possess the innate timing skill and emotional stamina to pull this off successfully, and the cost of being wrong can be extreme. Still, for those who are on the right side of a market that accelerates into a parabolic move, it may well make sense to take partial or total profits while the market is in a panic state, rather than waiting for a reversal, which in these types of markets can be both abrupt and extreme when it does come. In short, if you are long a market that you would be petrified to sell, it may not be a bad idea to get smaller or get out. Some listeners will finish this chapter and think, Baladimus has just been lucky. You can't trade that way and get away with it. He will eventually step on a landmine. Well, Baladimus has stepped on a landmine, many in fact, but it hasn't stopped his consistent forward momentum. Think about it. Baladimus averages hundreds of trades a day and has been trading for 15 years through multiple bull and bear market phases. What are the odds of consistent superior performance with this frequency of trading on the basis of luck alone? Such an outcome would border on statistical impossibility. As successful as Baladimus has been, from my objective perspective, it seemed that he wasn't applying his methodology to its full potential. Specifically, The markets he anticipates will be major tops and bottoms invariably trend for a long time once they reverse. Yet despite this consistent pattern and his skill in identifying these major turning points before they happen, he only trades a small part of the ensuing trend. It seemed obvious to me that he could further improve his performance by simply trading these markets for a much longer time, a conclusion with which he agreed. The point is that even the best traders may not be executing their strategies in the best way. Any trader that has an edge, as Baladimus clearly does, should consider whether the trading methodology being employed is best aligned with that edge. I am frequently asked whether becoming a market wizard is a matter of innate talent or hard work. My standard answer is to use a running analogy. As intimidating as the task may seem to those physically unconditioned, most people can run a marathon given sufficient training and dedication. But only the small minority born with the right physical characteristics will ever be able to run a 2.15 men or 2.30 women time, regardless of how hard they work. The analogy for trading is that similar to running a marathon. Proficiency is achievable with hard work, but performing at an elite level requires some degree of innate talent. Palladimus provides a good example. Sure, he was extremely dedicated to succeeding as a trader and willing to work long hours with full focus on trading, but his level of trading success was only possible because he has some innate skill some inner radar that gives him a sense of what markets will do. I don't care how devoted someone is to trading or how many hours they are willing to watch trading screens. The reality is that this type of skill will be out of reach for most people. There is no single true path to trading success. On the contrary, the trading methodologies employed by market wizards are extraordinarily varied. The trading approaches used are not merely different, but in the case of someone like Jimmy Baladimus, The trading methodology may be closer to a mirror image of what other traders do than bearing any similarity. Aspiring traders need to understand that the quest is not a matter of finding that one approach that unlocks the secrets of market success, but rather finding an approach that fits their personality. Jimmy Baladimus has found an approach that works for him because it fits its personality. Independent, competitive, contrarian, and very comfortable with risk. The same approach, however, would be potentially disastrous for most other traders who would have very different comfort levels and trading style. Over the years, I have received many inquiries that read something like the following. Dear Mr. Schwager, I wonder whether you know of any traders who are looking for apprentices. I'm willing to work long hours without pay to be able to learn from one of the market wizards. This type of query reflects a misdirected quest. You cannot succeed in the markets by copying someone else's approach because the odds are remote that their method will fit your personality. The answer lies not in copying someone else's method, but in finding your own. Chapter 15 Joel Greenblatt The Magic Formula Joel Greenblatt's name came up several times when I called hedge fund managers I knew for their recommendations on who I should consider including in a new Market Wizard's book. One manager said, He wrote this book, You Can Be a Stock Market Genius. Responding to my muffled groan, he said, Yeah, I know, the title, but it's really a great book. I think that book got a lot of hedge fund managers in the business. I subsequently read the book and found it covered the esoteric subject of special situation trading, spin-offs, mergers, restructurings, rights offerings, stub stocks, warrants, etc. with surprising conciseness, clarity, and even a sense of humor. In the appendix, Greenblatt provided the track record for his fund, Gotham Capital. The record began in 1985 and stopped abruptly in 1994. The average annualized compounded return was exactly 50.0% before incentive fees. The outperformance was remarkably consistent. The lowest annual return during the entire 10-year period was positive 28.5%. It was one of the best track records I had ever seen. Why, I wondered, would anyone close a fund that was doing so remarkably well? Since it was clear from his books that Greenblatt remained active in the markets, I couldn't even guess at a plausible explanation for closing the fund. The answer, it turned out, was both logical and obvious once you knew it. Greenblatt closed his fund precisely because it did so well. Assets had grown to the point where they were impeding returns, so Greenblatt decided to return all investor money. Greenblatt, along with Rob Goldstein, his partner since 1989, continued to trade the Gotham Capital account with their own capital for more than another decade, using the same concentrated portfolio of special situation trades as they did in the fund. The types of trades Greenblatt detailed in You Can Be a Stock Market Genius. The returns for this proprietary account are not available. Off the record, Greenblatt did tell me the average return for the account subsequent to the return of investor money. Let's just say that Gotham continued to do extremely well, far better than the vast majority of hedge funds although not approaching the lofty average return of the terminated fund. Greenblatt's second book, The Little Book That Beats the Market, the man is not timid when it comes to titles, grew out of a research project. In 2003, he hired a programmer to test how two key metrics that together were representative of his investment selection criteria, picking companies that were cheap and good, actually performed in the markets. Greenblatt used earnings yield to represent cheapness and return on capital to represent goodness. The two measures were combined in a single ranking that worked even better than Greenblatt and Goldstein expected. Greenblatt named this combined ranking indicator the magic formula, a name that implicitly pokes fun at the hype accompanying market indicators, but also acknowledges the surprising efficacy of the measure, as empirically demonstrated. In fact, Greenblatt and Goldstein were so impressed with the magic formula that they set up an eponymous website